Thank you, Ron. And it's great to be back here again. Boy, the week went quickly, didn't it? Oh, it lands. Seems like it was just yesterday I was up here in the pulpit. It was actually a week ago. So, um, but it is great to be back. And uh, as I mentioned last week, it was here at uh, this church that I did way back 55 years ago. An internship, fall internship, and uh, learned a lot about, uh, beginning to learn a lot about ministry that God had, that, you know, principles that I was able to take to the Philippines with us, where we served for many years in uh, mission activity, first teaching at a school for missionary kids. My wife and I are both uh, teachers by trade. She's elementary and I'm high school. Uh, but then beyond that, we got into Bible studies, church planting, and things of that nature. And I just want to say a big thank you to you as a church. Uh, many of you, uh, some of you know, many of you may not, that uh, the Fellowship Church has been a part of our support, support team, both financially and in prayer, uh, all of that time. Uh, since we went out, I went out single in, uh, let's see, was it 69? And uh, I was engaged. I found my beautiful bride, but uh, because I was signed up to teach for a year at the school out there, didn't have time to get married, so I said, just hold the phone, hold on, hold on, give me a year and I'll be back and we'll get married, and so she did. And, uh, and has been uh, partnered with me in ministry ever since, and I praise God for her and all that she brings to the ministry as well. Now, as I, this morning, uh, you know, as I was thinking about um, what I was going to say, there, oh, there was something I wanted to let you know. I, I have an inside track on, you know, uh, Pastor Justin and Sherry's uh, pregnancy, just uh, the hospital. I don't know if you know this. I don't think too many people do. So I'll share it with you. Anyhow, she was in the hospital, right, ready to, uh, waiting to deliver. And um, everything was going fine, and Pastor was there alongside her. And all of a sudden, she just started, just started yelling out uh, incoherently almost, you know, just words like, wasn't, couldn't, shouldn't, haven't, won't, can't. And things like that, and, and so pastors, you know, he's getting kind of shook up, and he says, says to the doctor, he says, well, what's going on? Why is she doing that? And he says, oh, it's nothing. It's very, per it's very normal. She's just having contractions. <laughs> Haven't, shouldn't, wouldn't. <laughs> Anyhow, actually, that didn't happen. I read that in a Reader's Digest joke thing, so. But I thought, you know, I got your attention, right? Everybody's, you know, looking like, what, what? <laughs> Uh, don't share that with us, Pastor. You know. <laughs> Might never invite me back again. <laughs> but anyhow, it is always a joy to be with you and also to share from God's Word. Nothing I enjoy more than the privilege of ministering the Word of God. And I uh, do it not lightly because God's Word is authored by the Spirit of God, and we need to be very careful how we handle God's word. We're to be workmen rightly dividing the word of truth. And we want to do that this morning. So let's bow in prayer with that in mind as we prepare to look at this passage that we will be looking at together. Father, thank you that you've not left us directionless. You've not left us to try to figure things out on our own because we surely would and have gone astray in that regard and uh, with the fall into sin uh, things have just gone very badly for us. But thank you for the rescue that you have provided for us. Thank you for the clear teaching of your word and the guidance that it gives to us for your spirit who enables us to understand and to apply. And so as we study this passage of scripture, we pray that there would be things here that would um, you would just uh, speak to our hearts, those areas where we need to be perhaps uh, 
uh, walk more obediently or things that we may not have thought about before. Just uh, give us direction and guidance as we delve into this short passage together, we pray in Jesus' name, for your glory and for our good. Amen. The passage this morning is uh, kind of a follow-up, even though you might say, I don't see the connection, but uh, hopefully you will as we go on. This is actually uh, the Great Commission, a passage of Scripture that's very familiar to all of you, uh, familiar to me and others who've spoken on it. I've memorized it, spoken on it a number of times, taught it. And uh, the problem with all of that is you can become so familiar with a passage of Scripture that you can kind of overlook some things. And you think that because I know this, that means I'm doing it. And it may not necessarily be true, right? There's a lot of stuff we know that we may or may not be uh, obeying or walking obediently to in that case. I was out in uh, Phoenix, Arizona, my wife and I. Uh, all of our kids, uh, two boys and a daughter, we have three kids all together. The two boys moved out to Phoenix, Arizona, which is where they are now, and their families are there. And our daughter's in Dallas, Texas. Uh, we're in Pennsylvania. I said to my wife, I said, I don't know what we did wrong. We raised these kids, and they all go fly as far away as they can from us. But it gives us an excuse to get out there and see them. Anyhow, I was in um, the church they go to. is a big one of these big mega churches, Scottsdale Bible Church. And I was in their bookstore, and I was looking through, and I found a book. Um, is a book that was um, there uh, by Tim Keller. It's called The Reason for God. And in it, he just mentioned one of the chapters was to look at the four all statements in the Great Commission. I thought, well, you know, I've never really looked at it like that before, all this, right? And so I thought this morning we would take a look at those four all statements and ask what does that actually mean and how does that impact where we live today? So that's what we're going to do. Let me read it for you, uh, but I'm sure you're all familiar with it. Starting with Matthew 28, verse 16. You can follow along if you want in your own Bibles. Verse 16 says, But the eleven disciples proceeded uh, to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some were doubtful. Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Did you catch the four alls in there? We're going to delve into those a little bit. The first all is uh, in that, uh, that uh, verse uh, uh, 18, and it's an interesting one. He says, all authority is given to me in heaven and on earth. This is Jesus now speaking to his disciples just before he's going to ascend back to heaven. His earthly ministry is over. He's done with his teaching, preaching ministry. He's done with his personal discipleship with his, uh, his followers, his 12, in the upper room there for those three chapters of John 13, 14, 15, actually 16, and the high priestly prayer of uh, Jesus in, in chapter 17 of John. All of that is with a very focused intent on these followers, these disciples who are going to become the apostles and be sent out. And so there's a commissioning coming up here but he starts with a statement of the first of the all statements, and that is, all authority has been given to me. Notice he doesn't say authority to you, he says to me. And he says the location, both in heaven and on earth. Oh, I don't know about you, but you, know, you think about that and you say, okay, I, I understand the first part, that all authority is given to Christ in heaven. After all, God's will is done perfectly in heaven, right? When Jesus taught his disciples to pray, he said, Hallowed be thy name, name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth 
as it is in heaven. In other words, it's a prayer that's not happening on earth to the fullest extent, and, but the prayer is that that will be the case, just as it is in heaven. Psalm 103, we read words like this. It says, uh, bless the Lord, you host, you heavenly host, you angels who are mighty in power, uh, performing his word and obeying the word, the voice of his word. And so uh, we find out that the angels do exactly what God commands them to do. They serve him and they follow his will. And so we have that assurance. But what about on earth? So in what sense is the all authority that's given to Jesus applicable to the earth where we live here and now? Because, uh, I don't know about you, but it's, uh, all of us can look around and say, I don't see Jesus' authority being worked out in my job, sometimes in my family, sometimes even in myself, right? I'm a rebel uh, at heart. And, and, and certainly not in, in government affairs. And, and, and then when you go around the world, it's very obvious that not all recognize the authority of Jesus Christ on earth. Wife and I lived in Hong Kong for about five years. I was on the uh, MTR, the, rail, the light rail system there one day, and I got to talking uh, with this guy, and I was talking about Jesus, and he stopped me in my tracks, and he said, <clears throat> Jesus may be Lord where you come from in the West, but here, in this part of the world, Buddha is Lord. I thought, wow, that's pretty straightforward. Actually, that's not unusual thinking. Uh, even in Bible times, the kings that came up against uh, Israel, uh, they, they, they worshiped tribal gods. They all had their own gods, right? The Philistines had the god Dagon, and the others had theirs. And there was one encounter where uh, they came up against the, uh, the people, children of Israel in uh, the mountains, and they were defeated. And then uh, the captain of the army that was coming up against them said, well, I know what the problem is. The problem is their god is the god of the mountains, so let's take the fight to them down on the plains. We've got chariots and horsemen. We'll beat them there. And that was the thinking, right? A territorial God. And of course, uh, God said, no, that's not going to happen. And he gave Israel victory on the plain as well. But I'm just mentioning that because we run into that all the time. I have taken to going to, um, <clears throat> uh, in our place where we live in, Reading, Pennsylvania, there's an Indian restaurant there. And um, of course, uh, having grown up in India and Pakistan, my parents were missionaries in India and Pakistan, so I lived there too. Um, that we would go there and eat. And I thought, you know, these guys need to know the Lord. So I went, I decided to go there on a weekly basis and try to talk to them about the Lord. And I do it through a sharing stories from the life of Christ. But as you walk in that store or into that restaurant, it's called Lakshmi's, there's a table there with um, stuff that you can eat after you've had hot food, right? And, uh, but there's, there's a god, an idol there. And uh, the idol is Ganesh. And Ganesh, if you know, is the, um, the Hindu god that has the, the elephant head, right, and the long um, uh, trunk of the elephant. So I, and one day he was burning incense before the restaurant opened. I go in before the restaurant opens in the morning, and he was burning incense. I said, uh, Suresh, what are you doing? He said, I, I'm burning incense. I said, what's the meaning of that? He says, well, and he had a hard time explaining. Um, and then as we talked a little bit more, he asked, um, what is sin? And, and so I said, okay, you asked for it. Here we go. I said, uh, well, let's take the Ten Commandments, right? And the first, of the t uh, first two commandments have to do with God, who he is, okay? And uh, the first one says, you shall have no other gods before me. And the second one says, you shall not make any graven image, any carved image of anything in heaven above, earth beneath, and you shall not bow down and worship him. 
went away and I came back, I know it's, I go there on a weekly basis, I came back and Ganesh was gone. <laughs> I said, uh, Suresh, what happened to Ganesh? He said, well, some kids were here and they were fooling around there and they dropped him and he broke. <laughs> and, and so he hasn't put him back, hasn't put him back together again. Uh, but the point is, you know, in that restaurant and in, in among those people, Hindus, which number close to a, a billion people around the world today, uh, they don't recognize the authority of Jesus Christ until they've been confronted with who he is. So um, with that in mind, not only is there a governing authority that Jesus has, and that is um, what theologians call an already but not yet factor to it, that when Christ rose again, victorious over sin and death and over, over Satan and, and ascended to heaven, uh, his authority extends to all spheres. But there's a not yet in terms of us who live and inhabit time that hasn't happened until Christ returns on the clouds of heaven and then is established and the throne is given to him, Daniel chapter 7, you can read about that there. And uh, this, so this is still future tense to us here. So as a result, there's not only uh, a, a governing authority, but there's also a commanding authority that comes. Jesus is getting ready to say, okay, all authority is given to me. Now let's talk about you. There's a job to be done. And uh, my question this morning, before we move on to the second all, is just simply this, is are we in a place where we're ready to listen to the commanding authority of Jesus Christ in our lives? Or do we already have it all figured out and we're saying, you know, actually my life is pretty well, I think I know what I'm going to do the next five, ten years, I've got this plan and I'm going to go here and do that. We kind of live in a me first generation, don't we? We don't really stop to think too often, okay, if all authority is given to Jesus, then we probably ought to listen to what he has to say to us and uh, do what he tells us to do, not just try to figure out on our own what we're going to do with life. And so we've come to the conclusion then that it's a God-centered uh, thing that we're talking about, not man-centered. I just want to challenge you with that thought. As we go into the second one, the second all, it's uh, all nations, all peoples, all nations. And the command is, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. Now there's two things here. One is the nature of the task, and the other is the scope of the task that is given to us to do. The nature, what it is, and the scope, meaning how broad is it. So we're going to start with the scope first and see how broad this commandment is. Go and make disciples of all nations. Now think about it, when Jesus was on earth and his disciples were following him, he sent them out to do this, to proclaim the kingdom, to heal the sick, to, raise, uh, to, to, to uh, cast out demons, and to proclaim the kingdom of God. But he said, don't go in the way of the Gentiles, and don't even go to Samaria. Samaria were half-breeds, but go only to the lost sheep of Israel. So that's what they did. They ignored the Gentiles, they ignored the Samaritans. That was easy for them to do, since Jews looked down on Samaritans anyhow. And Jesus had a narrower scope of ministry for them. But now, as he's preparing to go back to heaven, he broadens that scope quite a bit, doesn't he? I mean, all nations? Good night, sure. What do you mean all nations? I mean all nations. Now, when you think about nations, you think about governments, right? We live in a nation, the United States of America, <clears throat> Canada to the north. You've got Mexico, and then you've got about 240 other countries around the world. But Jesus uh, has more in mind, this word uh, nations is really um, from the word that we get the word ethnicities. So we're talking about people groups. 
And a people group is defined by a language and culture that is different from the one next to it. For example, when you go to the Philippines, if you want to communicate to people, especially in the rural areas, you need to learn their language. Tagalog if you're in Manila, Cebuano if you're in Mindanao, and they've got 80 some other languages as well. So when Jesus said to go to all peoples, all nations, if you went to the Philippines, you would actually need to, to be obedient to God's word. There would need to be people who are bringing the gospel to some 80 different uh, people groups, all speaking a different language. Otherwise, they may not have the opportunity to hear. Uh, so the scope has broadened now for the disciples. Jesus said in John chapter 10, he talked about gathering his sheep, my sheep will hear my voice. And then, of course, speaking about the nation of Israel and believers who would come out of, of Israel. But then he said, other sheep I have were not of this fold, meaning non-Jewish people. Them also my, I must bring, and they will be one fold and one shepherd. And so Jesus, in John chapter 10, is looking ahead and anticipating this broader scope of ministry that's been entrusted to the disciples, the apostles, and by implication also to us as well. And, and so the question is, how are we doing? How are we doing on this task that God has given us to do? Well, there are researchers who study this kind of thing. Uh, I don't know, do any of you, have any of you ever gotten or looked at or seen, I don't know if we have it in the library or not, the book Operation World? Operation World is really an excellent, if you can get hold of that, you should. If you want to pray for the world, Operation World talks, uh, has information about every country in the world. <clears throat> what's going on there, what their major religion is, the population, their responsiveness to the gospel or not. Is there any gospel witness there at all? And if so, in what form? What resources do they have or not? And uh, what we find is when you read books like Operation World or another resource you can go to is the Joshua Project. And you can key that one in on the computer and go to joshuaproject.net. And there you'll find the same kind of resources, all these people groups the degree to which they've been reached with the gospel, the degree to which they have not been impacted by the gospel yet. Jesus said, make disciples of all nations. Actually, the research from the uh, Joshua Project shows us that um, there are about 16,000 uh, people groups in the whole world, 16,000. Of those, maybe about 10,000 have been <clears throat> reached, meaning the gospel has penetrated there, Churches have been established, and there's a witness, a viable witness, among those people groups. That leaves about 6,000 plus that have not yet been reached. And by reached, we don't mean your neighbor who's not heard the gospel, but has many, many opportunities to do so. We're talking about people who have no access to the gospel because nobody is there as a believer to share the good news with them. And so they are lost without any hope and without the opportunity to hear. I was in Hong Kong one time and asked to teach um, a Sunday school class in a church there on missions. And so uh, these were just fourth and fifth graders. And I wrote up on the whiteboard behind me, I put up the word, I put, said, here, I want you to pay attention to this one word. And the word is opportunity. And I spelled it out <clears throat> in big, bold letters on the whiteboard, opportunity. I said, you know that there are people in our world who don't have any opportunity to hear the gospel message now, in Hong Kong, that's not the case. There are some 1,200 churches there, so people can hear. If they want to go to church, they can. But there are countries, there are people groups that don't have any witness whatsoever. 
And uh, I didn't know this until later, but there was a young um, uh, Indonesian gal uh, who had come over from Indonesia to Hong Kong to serve as a, uh, a helper you know, to families who were hired um, as helpers. And she was sitting back there. She was a Muslim, but she had gained some interest in the Word of God and I think was in the process of being mentored by somebody. I put that word opportunity. I said there are, no, there are people groups that don't have an opportunity to hear the message of salvation. And she leaned over, I found out later, she leaned over to the gal next to her and she said, you know what, he's right. My country is like that. They don't have an opportunity to hear because it's all Islamic, right? Where she came from. Uh, and so the question is, how are we doing on this? It seems like, you know, there's still quite a bit of work to be done. And, and so then the question comes, well, why isn't it getting done? Uh, why aren't these uh, other 6,000 people groups being reached with the gospel, even though we've got missionaries who go to uh, various parts and various countries around the world? Well, probably a number of reasons. Number one is, often when you talk to people about missions, they said, they're, I'm, I'm waiting for a call. I'm waiting for God to give me a call to missions, right? The question is, what's that call going to look like? Is he going to appear to you in a dream? Is he going to speak to you in an audible voice saying, uh, I want you to go? Guess what? We're just reading it right here. The command is given to us in the scripture, which is God's word. And the word of God comes to all of us as believers in Jesus Christ, all of us who are disciples, followers of him, that we in some way, shape, or form need to be involved in this all nations mandate. In other words, we need to get out of our, our, our macro, microcosm the world that we inhabit that we think is so all-important and we need to stretch our eyes, we need to remove the blinders and say, okay, God, first of all, I need to educate myself. Get an Operation World book, pray through it. Uh, go to Joshua and, uh, joshuaproject.net and research about these people groups. Um, and then the second thing is to start praying for them as well. Remember what Jesus' solution was? The harvest is plentiful, the laborers are few. What did he say? Pray. Pray the Lord of the harvest that he'll thrust out laborers into the field. So you say, I don't know what to do. Well, now you do. Pray. Okay? And it starts there. And then what happens is as you pray and as you inform yourself on what's going on in the world around you, beyond you, even distant lands, God then has the opportunity to begin to work in your life and to say, you know what, here's your piece or here's a first step that you can take and so on. So the mandate is there. All authority is given to Jesus. He gives the command because he has commanding authority. And he says, go and make disciples of all peoples. Um, the third thing is, uh, he says, go and, and do what? Teach them all that I have commanded you. Uh, before that, there's another statement. It's not uh, an all statement, but we'll just mention it in passing because our time doesn't allow us to go into it. But it says, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Baptism, right? And uh, it's interesting, isn't it, that in here there's nothing mentioned about the salvation message, the gospel message. The command is here in Matthew 28 is not so much focused on uh, go and, and share the gospel. That is mentioned in other accounts like in Luke and Mark. So there is that portion of it. But... But here we're getting given the broadest meaning of it, which is to make disciples. What's a disciple? A disciple is one who follows the Lord. And when you follow somebody, it's not just for a little bit, it's for life. And so it's an ongoing commission. 
So he says, teach them to observe all that I command you. He doesn't say, teach them to learn about all things that I've commanded you, does he? He doesn't say, teach them to acquire more knowledge, though that's a good thing to do, uh, because if we're going to be obedient, we need to know what it is that he's calling us to do. But the focus is not on teach them to accumulate information <clears throat> or to increase knowledge, but to what? To observe all that I commanded you. Now, there's something in here that actually I hadn't really noticed all the times I've studied this passage and talked about it, taught about it, even preached on it, that didn't even strike me until uh, just yesterday when I was reviewing the notes. Know what it is? Listen to it and see if you can pull it out. Uh, it's found in verse 20, right? It says they're teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. Let that sink in for a minute. <clears throat> Pretty straightforward, right? You've heard this before. Is anything there that struck you that didn't uh, before, perhaps? Little words, two little words. You know, little words matter. He says, teach them to obey all that I have commanded them. No. Teach them to obey or observe all that I've commanded you. Now the focus goes from them to you. Why does he do that? Why doesn't he say, teach them to observe all that I've commanded them? Well, it's because discipleship's an ongoing process for all of us. And the fact is that as you are discipling other people, God's going to convict you in your life about things. That, yeah, you're telling them to do that. What about you? You're telling them to be obedient in this area, and that's true, that's God's word. What about you? Are you being obedient in this area? And so the word always comes back and reflects upon us. One of the things about teaching is the tendency or the danger is that we can get to be sitting like the, like the Pharisees did in seats of authority, right? And they look down at people and say, you guys, you need to be doing this, 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 this. But they never consider that the same four fingers are pointing back at them and saying, yeah, what about you? And that's the nature of discipleship. We're never off the hook. It doesn't mean that God's trying to make life uncomfortable for us, but it does mean that he's in the process of day by day constantly working on us, uh, shaping us into the likeness of the image of his son, the Lord Jesus. And he doesn't give up. Philippians says, he that's begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. In other words, he's going to keep working on you, going to keep working on me until Christ returns. And then we'll be glorified and it'll be a whole different uh, area of, um, of living and ministering and serving the Lord there. So I thought I'd share that with you because that is something that we often um, get wrong. We think that when we disciple somebody, we should just have a curriculum and get them to know it. Instead of saying, Lord, convict me. Show me where I'm sinning. Show me where I'm coming short as well. Because it's about me as well as it is about them. One of the uh, ways that... Uh, uh, that uh, many of our missionaries are using now in terms of teaching people and making sure that there's um, a focus on the obedience factor, themselves included, is uh, a method called the Discovery Bible Study Method. Discovery Bible, DBS. You can look it up online. You can see what it's about. And it's very simple. They take a passage of scripture. Uh, often it's a story from the life of Christ or something like that, or it can be another passage. And uh, we read it through together. And we read it through a second time, somebody else reads it, and then you close your Bible and somebody tries to, you know, tell the story the best they can, and then somebody else tries to tell the story the best they can. So they're becoming familiar with the passage of Scripture. <clears throat> but the question is this, 
As the Bible study is concluded, it says, what action steps are you going to take this week out of obedience to what God is saying in this passage of Scripture? Wow. Most of the time we say, wasn't that a good lesson? I learned a lot today, right? And then we walk away having learned a lot. (laughs) Accumulate more knowledge. But the question is, how is that impacting your life? What changes is God bringing about? What does he desire to do? And then what they do is they say, next week, when you come back for next week's Bible study, we're going to start with the application. You're going to share with us what you did uh, by way of obedience or what God convicted you of or what you're starting to do that you hadn't done before. It can be any number of things. But don't be surprised if you start a Bible study like that if people start dwindling and, you know, leaving pretty quickly because the Spirit of God puts the, points his finger at certain parts of our life and we become uncomfortable. We become uncomfortable because there's sin there that needs to be confessed before him and to walk in obedience, to become effective disciplers of others. We can't disciple others if we're not being discipled and challenged ourselves. And so we have the third command, then, all that I command you, teaching them to observe all that I command you. And the fourth one, then, is, lo, I am with you, the last all, always. Now, um, that actually is all the days, meaning all the days, all the time, until Christ returns. And so um, we think, okay, well, that's, you know, that's the fitting ending. ending. Jesus is with me, and I'm glad he never leaves me or forsakes me. And we kind of think of it as uh, Jesus is saying, yeah, I, and I'm along for the ride, or we think of it like he's along for the ride. That's good, man. I'm glad that Jesus is next to me as I go, and that's a big comfort. And it is, not uh, belittling that at all. But I think there's far more to it than just that he is there and that his presence is there. Remember, it goes back, and it ties back to the all-authority. So with these four alls, what you have is it starts with Jesus' authority in heaven and earth, and it ends with him always being with us, and in between are the two other alls to go to all nations, all people groups, and to uh, make disciples of all those peoples, and to command or to teach them all that I've commanded you. So what it comes down to is we're not doing this in our own strength, right? Um, we're not going out there because, okay, God's told me to do it, so now I guess I ought to be obedient and need to suck it up and, you know, get myself ready and go do it. Jesus is saying, no, remember, the authority is mine. I'm commanding you with that authority, and I'm with you. And I think there's something far more significant than uh, the fact that he is with us, and that is that this is really an impossible task that we've been given to do, isn't it? Think about it. How are you going to go out and make disciples of all peoples? I think it's an impossible task myself. I think that Jesus gave them an impossible task. Uh, Did he do that other places in scripture? Uh, Yeah, actually he did. Uh, If you read the account of of the feeding of the 5,000, it's mentioned in all four gospels, but if you take the first three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, each one of those accounts has an interesting phrase in there uh, that I want to draw to your attention. You know, all these people are there and Jesus has spent the whole day healing and teaching and whatnot. And it's coming toward the end of the day, and everybody's tired, and the disciples go up to Jesus, and they say to him, basically, Lord, don't you think it's about time to call it quits? Many of you are probably saying the same thing to me. And uh, it's been time to call it quits. And, uh, and, and, they, and this is a desolate place. It's the end of the day. There's nothing here. Send them away so they can go to the nearby villages and towns and buy food. They're hungry. And in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you don't see it in John, it's a little different twist in John, but in those three Gospels, Jesus says to them, 
They don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. You can see it. Check them out this afternoon, all of the three of those Gospels. You give them something to eat. And then we find out, you know, at the end of it, that we're not talking a small group like here. We're talking about like 5,000 men plus women and children, and, you know, probably 10,000 or more, maybe even 15,000. And Jesus says, you give them something to eat. Is that a possible task? They said, <laughs> yeah, we got a few loaves of bread here and a few fish. But what's that among so many? Why did Jesus do that? See, that makes me feel uncomfortable. Why would he do that? Well, what do you think he's doing it for? What's the next thing happens? You know, they, 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 they basically have come to the end of themselves, and they're saying, uh, I can't do that. And Jesus says, have them sit down in groups of 50. Give me the bread and the fish. And he begins to break them, break the bread and the fish. And what does he do next? So he gives to, he thanks God. Thank you. He says, thanks God. And then he hands them to the people, right? Jesus goes around and hands them to all the people, right? Is that right? Is my memory gone bad? He hands them to the disciples. And the disciples go and hand them out to the people in the crowd. Interesting. You give them something to eat. Guess what they did? They gave them something to eat. But it wasn't of their doing. It was of God's doing. It was the power and the authority of Jesus that enabled him to just keep breaking that bread. I don't know how long it took. It must have been quite a while to feed that many people. But he used the disciples. And it's the same thing here. We don't have the authority to make disciples. We're given the command by the one who has the authority to do it. But it's an impossible task when we look at our own resources. We say, I don't even know the names of the countries of the world. What am I going to do? How am I supposed to be involved in that kind of a task? And Jesus says, it's my authority and I will be with you. Actually, you know what? We labor together with God in the task. We don't do it on our own. Paul mentioned that in 1 Corinthians 3. He said, we are co-laborers together with God. We may labor with other people on the human level, but it's always with God's power and authority working through us. When we get that perspective, then it becomes not so much about us as it is about God. That's why we're driven to prayer, because prayer puts it on a uh, vertical level, not a horizontal level. And we say, Lord, you've given me this task to do, like you told the disciples to feed the 5,000. You give them something to eat. You're telling me to make disciples of all nations. Lord, you better tell me what's going on, or, or you better do it through me, and I will do what you ask me to do. And so there's our part, and there's always God's part. If God is out of that equation, forget it. It's not going to happen. The world's not going to be reached. But if God is part of it, it's going to happen. It will happen. There will be some. Revelation 5, 9 tells us there will be some from every tribe, every nation, every people, and every linguistic group. That's why we know he's talking about these uh, ethnic groups, not just countries that are governed by certain rulers, but people who speak different languages. There will be people from every one of those present worshiping God around the throne. Why? Why? Because God is in it. He commands us to go in obedience, but he is the one who brings about the results. Remember, Paul said, I sow, Apollos waters, but God gives the increase. So it's dependence upon him. I think a lot of times when we half-heartedly share the gospel with people, we do it in our own strength, and we don't really expect God to do any work, right? We walk away and we say, oh, well, that wasn't very good. That didn't go well. Instead of saying, Lord, here's an opportunity. You want me to share with this person? 
You need to be at work by your spirit to bring about change because I cannot change people's hearts, but you can. And so we conclude. I'm with you always, Jesus said, even to the end of the age. God does not remove his presence from us when we walk in obedience with him. But we do need to walk obediently. God doesn't just say, well, watch what I do. He says, as you walk in obedience, I'll be there, and you watch what I do through you. So the, the task of discipling the nations is ours to do. It is given to us to do, and yet it's never done in the power of our own strength. It is always done with the power of God's spirit. And that's why Jesus said to the disciples, after he commissioned them, he said, but wait, wait in Jerusalem until you're endowed from above with power, the power of the Holy Spirit, and then you will become my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. So he said, you need to wait until the promise from the Father comes, the Holy Spirit, which he did on the day of Pentecost, but his power is always there available for you and I, who are indwelt by his Spirit, but we need to respond in that manner. This morning, I just want to leave you with that challenge. I'm not saying that everybody should instantly drop what they're doing and become a missionary to some far-off nation. But certainly, prayer is in order. You need to pray. Inform, educate yourself, find out what's going on. Just find out about those countries and what's, what's going on in those countries. Confess our personal sin of indifference. Lord, I haven't really cared about those people, if we're honest with ourselves. I've never even thought too much about it. I don't like Muslims. I don't like Hindus. I don't know anything about them. So we have this attitude of indifference, right? But God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God loves those people. So ask the Lord to give us a heart of compassion and care for them. And then say, here am I, Lord. Send me. If you want to send me, I'm here. As Isaiah said, send me. Father, we thank you for your word. These are not sometimes not very comfortable words they uh, push us in areas where we look at our own lives and we say yeah I think really I have been indifferent I've got my own world to think about I've got my own life to think about I've got my own issues my own problems my own stresses things like that and now you're asking me to do more but father always help us to remember that it's your authority and your power and that you are with us to do or to give the strength, the enabling to do that which you command us to do. You never command us to do something that is beyond our ability as we trust in your word and in your spirit to uh, empower us to do so. So with that assurance, give us wisdom and guidance, each one individually, as we wait before you and seek your face in this matter of the all nations mandate to bring the good news to them who've never had the opportunity to hear, that you would be glorified and people would be saved. For Jesus' sake, amen.